You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. 1 Samuel, 30th chapter. I'll give you a little preface before I start to read. In chapter 29, David, of course, now is outside of the grace of Israel because Samuel, not Samuel, Saul has turned him into an enemy. And so now a righteous man who has fought for the honor of Israel is now a man who's considered an outlaw and on the outside of the grace of Israel. Uh, this man, true to his nature, being a, a, a tried and true leader and a man of God, has gone around and he has assembled a group of people, a group of men around him that are commoners. There's no nobility in their group, uh, just common folk. And he's taken this, what we would call ragtag bunch of people, and turned them into a mighty war machine. So true to his nature, David's a king even though he doesn't have a throne. And he's leading because he's been anointed to lead. And a true leader will lead from wherever they're placed. Oftentimes people think they have to be behind the pulpit in order to really be a leader. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. This is just another aspect of leadership. This is really kind of like icing on the cake. Real leadership is when you can crawl underneath a bridge with somebody, wrap your arm around them, and pray them through to salvation. Real leadership is when you can sit with a brother or a sister who's hurting and their life is torn apart, and you can share the wisdom that you know from the Word of God to help correct the situation that they're in, and their life begins to turn around. True leadership leads all the time. And so... David hasn't waited for him to come to the throne to be a leader. He has just naturally assimilated into rounding up people who needed encouragement. Do you know the greatest leaders are just people who need encouragement? The greatest people in the body of Christ, which really is all of us, are just people who life is beat up, abused, mishandled, torn apart, messed over, and they're just waiting for someone to come along and show them what hope looks like. Because when hope is deferred, the heart grows sick, but when hope is given to you in a way that vision comes alive, the heart begins to heal, joy begins to come, vision is shared, excitement is shared. I live my life, I'm a visionary, so I live my life on the edge of dream all the time, all the time, about everything. I'm always at the edge of dreams. Sometimes my dreams are so big that when I get into the reality of the dream and it's really started to become a reality, I go, oh, my goodness, this is big. Oh, my goodness, this needs work. Oh, my goodness. And that's where I need all you good detail-minded people to come along and go, no, Pastor, that's fixable. We can do that. No, Pastor, we can fix this. No, that, that can be done. No, we can talk to this group. I live on that edge of vision all the time, and a true leader is a visionary. And he shares vision 
and heart. And he shares it in a way that can get you to go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's get up. Let's assemble. Let's go forward. Let's carry out the mission of God. Let's do it together. And a true leader builds a team. A real leader, it isn't about them. If he's really a leader, it's about you. If it's about me, I'm missing the boat. Because then it becomes a self-centered thing and it's not God at all. I I know I'm teaching for the moment. Preaching's going to break out. Are you listening? God is raising up real leaders, people that are selfless. David was selfless. Now, I'm sure David, after he came back from his victory with Goliath, had to feel just a little puffed up. And when the women would sing in the streets, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. I'm sure they had moments that he felt a little puffed up. But just about the time you get full of yourself, the Lord will make sure he puts you in a position to reveal to you that you are full of yourself. David has assembled a ragtag bunch of people. The problem is he has made peace with the Philistines, and the Philistines are going to war with David's homeland, with David's people. And David, because he's a man of honor, has pledged his honor to the, one of the Philistine kings and said, I'll, I'll back you, I'll fight with you, I'll put my men beside you. But the other Philistine kings said, no, no, we can't trust that David won't see his people falling in war and not turn on us. They feared David. If there was any accusation against David in all of this about Ziklag, it would be that for a moment, for a moment, David entertained fighting his own people. That's the danger that happens in the church of Jesus Christ when we start fighting our own people. We we render ourselves into a place of judgment. We render ourselves into a place of difficulty. And the enemy is watching. And the moment you start attacking somebody within your own ranks, the enemy will come and catch you unaware. Let me prove it to you. Verse, chapter 30, verse 1. I'm reading out of the Amplified today, so I'm eliminating the King James vernacular. Now, when David and his men came home to Ziklag, this is after he was turned away at at Jezreel. Now, when David... And his men came home to Ziklag on the third day. They found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the south, the Negeb, and on Ziklag, and had struck Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women and all who were there, both great and small, captive. And they killed no one, thank the Lord for that, but carried them off and went on their way. So David and his men came to town, and behold, it was burned, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the men with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more strength to weep. How many understand that's mourning? 
When you cry to the point that there are no more tears to produce, you have gotten yourself to a place of dehydration because you have wept and you have cried and you have mourned and you have lamented so much. David's two wives also had been taken captive. That one and Abigail, Ahinoam. Can you imagine? Anihoham. No Bettys or Sues or Marys. Anihoham, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. That sounds like a dessert. <laughs> Sorry. I am who I am. I can't help it. Verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them all were bittered or bitterly grieved, each man for his own sons and daughters. But, there's a big but. You notice it's capitalized. Anytime you see a big but in the word, circle it. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray you, bring me the ephod, and Abathar brought him the ephod, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, Pursue, and you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now, the most important verse in all of this is verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, I pray you, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. The ephod is the garment of a priest. I may be down, I may be out, but somebody bring me something I can praise God in. Mm-hmm. So today's message is raided, invaded, and burned. How many have ever been raided, invaded, and burned by an enemy? How many understand that the enemy will come in and catch you unaware? While you're off busy doing business the way you think business should be done, that's when the enemy will come in. When you're trying to put your hand towards righteousness and do the right thing, that's when the enemy will come in. When you're just about on the, when, when you're, how do I say, when you're on the precipice, when you're on the verge, I like the word that, I like that word verge, when you're on the verge of a breakthrough and a breakout, when you're on the verge of revival, when you're on the verge of something happening, that's when the enemy comes in the back door. That's when the enemy catches you from behind. That's when you're not looking behind you that the enemy comes up and he begins to mess with your world and begins to mess with you. The enemy shows up. The enemy's a coward. He comes in behind you because he doesn't want you to turn and fight him. Nobody wanted to fight David. Nobody wanted David against them. No, Everybody understood the heart of David. He had the heart of a lion. He wouldn't back down from anything. He wouldn't back up. He wouldn't back down from giants. He wouldn't back down from anything in life. And they didn't want this guy to come at them because he is war crazed and when he comes he's going to come in the spirit of the Lord and as he comes he's going to have the strength of the Lord and we don't want to fight him so they come in the back door Mm. David is now an outlaw even though he's righteous he's being treated as an outlaw 
And when you get labeled an outlaw, you're looked at as though you're not worthy. How many understand that Jesus was crucified as an outlaw? Crucified as an outlaw, but nobody upheld the law greater than Jesus. He's the one that fulfilled the law and then handed to us his victory, and now we live as if we fulfilled the law by living in his grace. When we started the whole Christian country outlaw craze and started the whole uh, outlaw thing, guess who fought us the most? Wasn't the world. Huh? The church fought us, and Christian country fought us. And I remember when Christian country was fighting for its life because Southern Gospel didn't want Christian country to come to the forefront. And I'm like, why do we shoot each other in the foot? We're always fighting ourselves. Stop that. All outlaw means simply is, is that I'm living righteous and recognized as an outlaw the way that Jesus was. I'm living righteous. I'm living holy. I have a righteous indignation, and I got something to say. We're living in a time when America needs some righteous indignation. We're living in a time when the church needs to get its voice back. We've got a window to speak our voice. We've got a window of opportunity right before us, and if we don't stand up and seize this moment, and seize this opportunity, the church of Jesus Christ will go away forevermore in America. But I'm here to tell you that I'm not about to back down. I'm not about to shut up. I'm not about to quit. We're going to keep preaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. If I got to stand in the streets as an outlaw and tell them and compel them to come in, then I'll be an outlaw for society because I know that Jesus is the way, the only way, and you need to come through him. Mm. Wow. I got to hurry. You all are just making me take too much time. David's army is, there's not a noble man in the army. Every one of them are commoners. Point to yourself and say, thank God he can use me. They're in exile, and the Philistines have rejected them because their war council was afraid of David. And David comes home to Ziklag, and his encampment has been raided by the Amalekites. Raided by the Amalekites. And when they come into the camp, as we read it, they found not only had they been raided and pillaged, but they had been invaded and burned. Everything was burned. Anything that was worth anything had been burned. I just want you to understand something, church. The devil never fights you strength for strength. He's afraid of you. We don't, we don't have this concept of who we are. The devil's more afraid of you than you are of him. Because you have the authority of Christ Jesus, he does not. So you pose a much greater threat into his kingdom than he poses into the kingdom of Christ. Because you are now a walking, talking child of the Most High God, just like Jesus, you have his authority. Just like Jesus, you have his assignment. Just like Jesus, if you have faith, you can move the mountains that Jesus moved. You can change your world and turn it upside down, just like the apostles did. We can turn our society upside down, but we spend all of our time cowering in the corner, afraid of the devil, when we've been given all the authority that we need to run him roughshod off of our land. Who could say amen to that? I've got to hurry. Look at this. 
He'll never fight you strength for strength. He blindsides you when you're doing what's right. I know I've already said that, so I'll move on. David come home to find that they'd been raided, total destruction, all his valuables looted, all of his belongings were gone, his shelter was burned, the women and the children had been kidnapped. David, this natural leader, this natural king, anointed by God, comes home to find out that just because you're anointed by God doesn't mean that you aren't vulnerable to attack. Is that all right? Just because you're anointed and you can heal the sick doesn't mean you won't be attacked. Most of the great healers that we look to through history that we study, their ministries, most of them died with a sickness. I'm not being ugly. I'm just being honest because the enemy will hit you where you think you're strong. We got to keep remembering that we operate in the authority and the power of Jesus and not our own. It's when we get to looking to our own power that we find ourselves in trouble. It's when we're trying to do things in our own ability that we find out we are vulnerable. I was just at a funeral yesterday and they used the scripture, this, this corruptible must put on incorruption. In other words, as long as I'm walking in the here and now in this earth, I could be corruptible. I have met Christ Jesus and I have put on the assemblage of being, uh, how do I say this, of being incorruptible. And as long as I'm walking in the spirit, I'm incorruptible. But the moment I start getting pulled away into my own thoughts, into my own thing, into my own agenda, suddenly I'm vulnerable again. And the enemy knows that, so he'll attack you to try to get you into your own strength. He'll attack you to try to get you worn out. How many have ever read the scripture where it says the enemy comes to wear out the saints? How does he do that? By by pelting your mind over and over and over and attacking you and attacking you and attacking you until your focus gets on all of the attack and that's all you can see. You can't see any way out of the problem. You can't see any way out of the circumstance. And suddenly you're trying to solve all of the problems on your own and you begin to, uh, uh, oftentimes we begin to accuse God instead of, of worship God in those situations. Here David is. He gets home after having thought he was leading a righteous cause. He gets home to find out he's been attacked, and not just attacked, but attacked big by the enemy. Attacked in a way that's undeniable. Everything's gone. Everything's burnt. There's not even a tent to get under. There's nothing left to eat. There's nothing left to cook. And the greatest grievance of all, my wives and my children. And the men who've been following David on all of these great conquests suddenly find themselves in a vulnerable state along with their leader. And now they're broken. They're devastated. They're hurt. If you're going through something right now, you're probably broken and devastated and hurt. But I want to give you a little encouragement. Hang on. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel because things have gone backwards. Things go backwards often. But I want you to understand whatever the enemy tears up, he's going to have to give up.
Jolly, I wish I had time to. The Lord gave this to me this morning before I, before I left the house. I, I didn't have a planned message. I have a couple things written on paper. That's it. But I can see why he didn't want me to get in the middle of it. He didn't want my thoughts in the middle of what he wanted to say. Now look at this. These same men who have followed him, these commoners who have now been elevated to warriors, these common men suddenly find themselves in a place where they have been reduced back to looking at the circumstances through their own strength. And they weep and they cry and they're broken, as any of us in this room would be. You cannot look at a natural circumstance and not feel it in the natural. And it's hard sometimes to get your mind around the understanding that a natural circumstance has a supernatural solution. you are soul and spirit, mind, will, and emotions, and the spirit of God all wrapped up into one. You're created in the image of your heavenly father. You look like Jesus. <laughs> Here they are, broken, devastated, hurting. Their humanity is raw. Have you ever been in a raw place? They weep and they weep and they weep and they weep and they weep until dehydration sets in in the arid deserts of the Middle East. They cry till they cannot cry anymore. They've lamented. They have groaned. They've been in pain. They've been in agony when they see what has happened. We were... We were trying to do something righteous, God. We were following your man, and then we get hit like this. And as they weep and cry, as anyone does when you go through something that's devastating and difficult and hard, you start getting angry. Now, the Bible says you can get angry and sin not, but there's also an anger that goes beyond that. And you, if it's self-motivated anger, it's going to get into sin. And these men are fixing to turn sinful. They look at the situation and they go, what's the common denominator? We followed David. We followed David. There's the problem. He had us off over here when we could have been at home defending our families. We could have been home doing what's right to take care of our own. But he had us off. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Isn't that the way the enemy speaks? Accusation. What was the first thing the enemy did? He accused God to Eve. And then Adam followed suit real quick. That woman you gave me. Accusation rises up quickly. Why? Because the enemy is constantly accusing God. Why? Because he wants to be God. And he knows that you're created more in the image of God than he ever will be. 
And he knows God values you far more than he does even the angels. They serve because they're close to God. You have to serve him from a distance. And God values you that much. God has made up his mind. He won't work this plan without you. God works through people, not around people. He uses us, lit students. He uses us to reach our world. He uses us to reset the course of how things are going in our society. He uses us to link arms with our community. He uses us to help those around us. He uses us to point out what is godly and what is not. He uses us to help draw a clear line of delineation on which side of righteousness a soul should be on. It's not popular. It makes us an outlaw. Nobody wants to hear the truth in the day and age we are. Our churches don't even want to hear the truth. And when I say churches, you know what I mean. I'm talking church universal. No one wants to hear the truth. We'd rather appease the flesh of men than preach the word of God. But if ever there was a time for a remnant church to arise, it is now. It is in this season. It is in this time. If ever America's been given the chance to rectify what has gotten broken and turned backwards, it is now. But understand this, that if we're going to preach righteousness, if we're going on a righteous cause and a righteous crusade, the enemy is going to attack you from behind. He is going to do little things underneath the surface to try to pull you out of direction. He's going to try to get your mind boggled down where your mind can't think straight. He's going to try to get you into a place of depression, mental distress, and frustration. He wants to take you out of the game. He wants to knock you out, and he does it so subtly, and it's really the only real weapon in his arsenal, and it is to get you to accuse God or God's man or God's people or something about God. And so these men who were once loyal to David, just a few minutes ago, loyal now after a couple of hours of crying, They're going, I think we ought to stone him. Get your rocks, boys. We'll we'll fix this. Well, the problem is that ain't what a leader does. A leader doesn't go kill somebody. A leader doesn't go and, and, and tear someone else down to try to solve a problem. And David was the only real leader in that bunch that day. They're ready to stone him, and he goes, hey, somebody bring me a garment of praise. Now, David cried right along with them. David wept till there were no more tears. David was just like them. He felt the same pain, felt the same torture, understood what they were going through. He felt the loss. He felt it deep. But he didn't jump up and take his sword and turn his sword on his men like the enemy tries to do. The enemy loves to sow discord. Now the enemy tries to sow 
all the negatives to try to get you to align. Because if you align, he's got you. If you align, you become powerless. He gets you to align, and if he can get you to align, you're destroyed. It's over. It's not just about what you lost. It's now about what you lost. You lost your courage. You lost your strength. You lost your purpose. You lost your reason. You lost it all. You can recover from being raided in the natural. It's not easy. I'm not here to pretend it's easy. It's not easy to lose loved ones. It's not easy to have things like this happen. But you can recover. But if the enemy gets this, the heart of your own, the heart of man, if he gets the heart of man, he wins. And he wins big. Because he rendered you powerless and you'll never rise again to fight him again. And David said, somebody bring me a garment of praise. Somebody bring me something I can worship in. Because all I have left is to run to my master. The same one who gave me the strength to kill a lion. The same one who gave me the strength to kill a bear. Can you imagine how frightening that would be for a young shepherd boy out in the field by himself? The same one that I sing to in my lonely hours by myself in the desert place. I need that garment where I can find my father. I need that garment where I can go back to my God. I need to put on something here that will change the, the atmosphere of what I'm trapped in in this moment. Why did he call for the garment? He could have praised God without it. Yeah, but there's something about clothing yourself. How many have ever heard the old adage, if you dress the man, it changes the image of the man. If you're going to be successful, dress successful. He needed an image change because all he could see around him right then was a bunch of people in distraught and anger ready to give up on God. And he called for the ephod. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are kings and priests. And David is the one that we're patterned after, the king and priest. It's the one that Melchizedek left us the example of. And David was operating on what he knew from the stories of Melchizedek. And Jesus came and was the ultimate king priest who's given to us and handed to us now the right to be a king and a priest. I got to hurry. Dressed now in the garment of a priest. He has laid his leadership and his kingship aside to get into the presence of God. As a priest, someone who doesn't serve men serves God. Is this sticking? You are a king to serve men. You are a priest to serve God. 
as a king, (laughs) I have the right to rule and reign and lead. As a priest, I have the right to worship and glorify and magnify and petition. And David put on that garment. It doesn't say this in the narrative, but I can just about envision him the same as the day when he rode in to Jerusalem dancing before the ark. He began to worship. He began to magnify. He began to glorify. The moment the garment went on, I don't know how he held these men at bay, but he encouraged them to hold on, give me a moment to get with God. And sometimes in the middle of your mess, you need to get with God. Sometimes you got to put life on hold so you can get with God. The world around you may be upside down, topsy-turvy, messed up, jacked up, tore up. And it won't get any better in your own strength. So you got to lay your kingliness beside and your royalty beside and get on the garment of the servant of the king. And when you come in, David didn't come in and go, oh, God, oh, whoa, you've torn me up. It's awful. I know he wrote a few things like that. But at Ziklag, in the midst of a moment when there's not a tear left to cry, this mighty warrior of faith said, oh, God, I still have you. The enemy has taken everything I've got, but I've still got you. You're still in my life. You've not left me. You've not forsaken me. You've not turned me aside, and you've not walked away. You are still there watching over me. And he began to pour out his heart, and he began to worship, and he began to tell God how wonderful God is. When I'm pressed, I always want to tell God how wonderful he is because it reminds me, and I begin to get hope again. When I'm hopeless and I call upon his name, suddenly hope emerges again because I remember my God is the God who put the world in motion. My God is the God who created everything out of nothing, hung it on nothing, and it's still out there. My God is the one who said, let there be, and boom, it was. My God is the one that the science says that the universe is ever expanding. Why? Because he never called his word back. He just released it. And when I get into that place, I'm reminded that this trial, this trouble, as difficult as it is, it will pass. But without you, God, I have nothing. And what would you have me to do, Father? I love that, and I know I made a joke of that, but I love it in the verse where it says, but David. 
Everybody else was lost and ready to go down the wrong path. Everybody else had already thrown in the towel. Everybody else said, there's no sense in serving God. It's over. We lost everything. We gave you everything, David. Now we lost everything. But David, it only takes one person to change the entire what I want to say, atmosphere of a situation. One. One focused on God can change it all. And David, before the Lord, bows, cries out to his God, you are worthy of it all. I'll bring no accusation, God. I'll not condemn you, curse you. I'll worship you. What would you have me do? <laughs> and because his response was right, God said, you know what? Why don't you just go recover all? I'll back you, David. I got your back. I got your back in this, David. I always did. I saw this coming. I know you couldn't. I did. Trust me. This is why their children weren't killed. This is why their, their wives hadn't been touched. Why? Because God saw it coming and God knew, I'm going to reserve this for David. I'm going to keep this because I know what he's going to do. I know David's heart, and I'm going to provide him a way out of this. And as he worshiped, he said, you go, and you recover all. I didn't finish the story. I didn't go completely there, but let me, let me just share this with you. <laughs> when David got a word... When David got the word of God after worship, he stood up and he says, hey, boys, you want to know what God just said? Now, remember, they're ready to stone him. They're not so sure they want to follow him anymore. But a real leader arose to the occasion he said, guys, guess what? I've got inside information. We win. God said, go get it. Suddenly, these men with no strength, suddenly these men who have been dehydrated, they're ready to mount. They're ready to follow. They're ready to go. We're not just going to get what's ours. We're going with vengeance. We're going with vengeance on the enemy. 
There's fire in our eyes. There's fire in our gut. We're ready to do this thing. We're going to do this thing. And when the enemy comes to try to take you out, I want you to understand this, that if you'll go to God first, God's got your back and God will lead you in the charge. When they rode into that encampment, it wasn't just David that they were afraid of. Oh, it wasn't. I, know, I can imagine what the Amalekites must have thought when they saw David coming over the hill. Something inside of them began to melt like the word says their hearts melted like wax when they realized that is God's man and he's got vengeance in his eyes and he's bringing that group with him and we are in trouble boys it's time to get out of here and it says that David and his men rode into that encampment and they annihilated the Amalekites they took out everyone they could take out they left it in absolute uh, uh, devastation and when they left when they left, they took the Amalekite spoils. They not only recovered everything that belonged to them, they took what belonged to the enemy as well. And I'm here to declare that if you're going through something today, God has that kind of victory designed for you. No matter what the devil has designed against you, get on your garment of praise. No matter where you find yourself today, get on your garment of praise and begin to cry out to him and he'll give you the plan to go and annihilate your enemy and come back with everything that was stolen from you as well as taking more than you ever dreamed. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.